Because if we all agreed, we wouldn't get to an interesting place. You need yeah. the debate. You need a bit of heat in there. Like I said, you need a bit of friction. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with someone who took this media agency to the top of the 2020 new business ranking in Australia after just one year in the CEO role. She's spent the last two decades learning, honing, and learning some more in full-service media and creative agencies, both in Australia and Southeast Asia. Holding varied positions with roles across media, digital creative, brand, and agency management. It's this diverse background that's fostered the ability to think across disciplines and channels, to be able to bring a hybrid strategic point of view to the tasks and challenges of communication and agency management today. So please welcome to Managing Marketing, Imogen Hewitt, CEO for Australia and New Zealand at Spark Foundry. Welcome, Imogen. Hi, Darren. Though I notice everyone calls you Imo. It's a thing. I can't shift it and it's too late to try now. It's It's been the way it's been for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Uh, it's clearly a term of endearment because it's said, you know, you just get the feeling that it's shortened with such love and respect. I like to think so. <laughs> it <laughs> well, comes with warmth. <laughs> I'm inclined to use people's <laughs> proper names, so I'm, I'll, I'll continue to call you Imogen. Uh, and look, you know, one of the reasons that I was so keen for us to sit down was that fact about you were promoted in, or given this role as CEO of Spark Foundry literally only a year or so after it suddenly sort of sprung into global attention because previously it was Media Vest and Spark and, the, and publicists in their wisdom put the two together, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think um, it's a we tell sometimes a little bit of a, a history lesson to um, to clients and prospects and staff about the fact that there was a acquisition of Match Media, I think, in 2017, and there was um, a bit of a, a trial as having that part of the Blue 449 global network at the same time as Spark was kind of emerging out of MediaVest, and then um, eventually uh, those two things were brought together, and that was... Um, I think the beginning of 2019, and I started at the end, the very end of 2019. So, Amazing. quite and a then, task. But then you had that phenomenal new business growth. I mean, it literally felt like suddenly Spark, Spark Foundry was getting nominated or being on almost every media pitch that was happening at the time. It must have been a, a phenomenal start to that, uh, to that role. It was um, an awesome start, but the awesome is only in retrospect because at the time it was quite daunting to find ourselves trying to work out who are we um, and who's our leadership team and what do we believe in and how well do we know what, you know one another and believe in one another and what's our offer look like and all of those kind of classic things that come with bringing together multiple brands into one at the same time as staring down enormous opportunities like um, pitching on Westpac, pitching on Toyota, um, that was all within the first sort of twelve months of our um, of our, our new agency. So yeah, good and bad. 
Well, um, trial by fire, you know, forged in the heat of, uh, of new business is uh, one way of looking at it. It's, it's really true because I think one of the things that it did do was mean that we couldn't dilly-dally with sorting some of that stuff out. Um, the fact that there were really significant opportunities on brands that we all wanted to work on um, meant that we had to really focus on getting some of the fundamentals done quite quickly. And what I mean by that is, you know, within the first 12 weeks of me starting, we had um, kicked off and we're probably already halfway through a refresh of the positioning of the agency um, that tried its very best to take into account you know, what was true of Match and what was true of Spark and what were the um, both the differences and I suppose some of the similarities that we really wanted to hang on to and build something which was more than the sum of its parts. Um, and we had that concluded within, oh gosh, it was well within the first six months because we had these looming big significant opportunities on the table and we needed to articulate what we believed in very clearly. Um, we also had to go through the process of, um, I guess working out from a product perspective uh, what, well, I had to go through, I mean, the guys that were here already knew, but I needed to really understand what it was from a product perspective that was special um, and there was luckily a lot that was really, really compelling in, in the work that existed within the agency and the teams had done already um, and then put you know put a bow on it, called it something, packaged it up a bit and well, off we well, went. And, and that I'm glad you said that because it is about packaging. You know, like one of the things that drives me crazy is agencies that give you this list of what's special about them but never get to the point of being able to package it up almost like the story that you want the prospective client to take away or even your incumbent clients. You know, sometimes we forget that our the incumbent clients are inclined to know you from day-to-day interactions, but rarely do you get to sit down and give them the story that they can then wrap it up or package it up into, you know, one thought or, or one perception of the agency. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, this might not be overly popular with some people, but I think communications agencies tend to be a little bit shit at communicating. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we don't do a great job of a lot of the things that we preach to our clients, as in what is our positioning? What does make us different? What product do we have that nobody else has? Why why and how can it be called something different? And what's the benefit of that back to our clients? Um, And so we did do quite a lot of work very quickly on making sure that that was all really clearly articulated. And I think, you know, you said sometimes incumbent clients don't get the benefit of that. But when you're in the midst of a merger, Mm -hmm. you have to articulate that to clients old and new. And so the the driving force behind that was not simply let's let's get some runs on the new business board. It was let's make sure that our existing clients across what was previously two different agencies with quite different ways of doing things um, saw it as a benefit and an enhancement rather than um, potentially taking away from an agency that they already loved. So that was that was part of that agenda as well. And you're right, Imogen, in that um, they were agencies that had very strong reputations for doing things their way. Mm. So they would have attracted clients that were attracted to that way of doing things. It would have been an interesting and, and quite a nuanced conversation to say, you know, well, we're bringing it together, but you're going to get the best of both worlds because it's easy to say, but they're going to be there going, yeah, but will I really? You know, let's wait and see. Yeah, and they were two two businesses that were really built on 
really different ways of doing things, really different skills and legacies. So from on the one hand, we had, you know, uh, a business that had been incredibly progressive in terms of data, digital analytics, um, you know, has a, I, I have the benefit now of having a, an analytics team that's been in the business for over a decade, which is not something that a lot of agencies do have, which is um, a significant part of what we do really well. But on the other hand, um, there was also an agency that was much more known for big culturally important ideas and partnerships and things that were much more about, um, you know, a great insight and a great idea brought to life. So we had sort of this real growth engine, performance engine, very science side of the business and this very um, uh, much more driven by, you know, what does it feel like and how do you get people to connect with ideas and why is that equally important, um, if not more important than anything else. So on the one hand, it could have been quite hard to bring those two things together, but it became clear very early that if we could put them together so that both of them could thrive, then you kind of have a pretty incredible combination of uh, assets amazing, at your disposal. Amazing offering. Trinity P3. Um, it probably didn't feel like it so at the time, but in many ways that sort of diversity of experience, because you're not the media agency CEO that you know sort of went into media and, and has always been in media you know as as the introduction you know I pointed out that you've had quite you know diverse creative digital data media you know all of these things do you think that helped or or can you see how that diversity of view could help with pulling that together um I was I mean, it was the first. It was it was my first CEO role, um, and I certainly, like anyone who has a conscience, was worried about whether or not I was ready to take it on. I think there were a couple of things that became clear really quickly. One of which was kind of um, exacerbated by the fact that I walked in just before. Oh gosh, the C word, and by that I mean yeah. COVID. Um, not anything more rude. Um, <laughs> I just qualify that, that now. Pandemic, uh, <laughs> the pandemic. Yeah. The pandemic. That's what I mean. And so you know, there was. Um, I I kind of look at that in hindsight as a bit of an equaliser because it didn't really matter how much experience you had as a CEO or otherwise. No one really knew what they were doing dealing with something of that kind of global magnitude. Um, and what became clear quite quickly to me was that having 20-odd years of experience as a communication strategist was actually an extremely useful skill set because I thought about my constituents or my target audience as the, the people that I was trying to work with and for. Um, and what did they need from me? They needed clarity. They needed consistency. They needed um, transparency. They needed me to communicate very clearly and often about as much as I knew. And I'm quite comfortable in talking about the fact that I didn't know the answers to all of the things. No one did, but not everybody is necessarily as comfortable with accepting that as I was then and still am now. Um, and so it really was about what do these people need to know and when do they need to know it with how much um, specificity and how much um, of the bad stuff can I also be very clear about because I've, I've got a belief that if you don't tell people the truth, the story they make up is worse anyway, so you may as well. It is so true and you would not believe the number of times I've had that conversation with corporate comms 
at clients, you know, we're going into a pitch and we're not going to tell anyone anything. And I go, well, that's really dangerous. Yeah, I agree. Because the industry will just make up the worst possible story to fill that void. But you're right, it occurs everywhere. Whenever people that are seen to be, you know, in, in managing or in control or they should know more than I do, when they're quiet... It just makes everyone else's thoughts run wild. Well, it freaks everyone out. And then when you've got people who are genuinely quite fearful because we are looking at a situation that nobody knew what was going to happen, um, and I mean that in a professional sense with respect to their jobs but also in a personal sense, um, I felt very compelled to tell people as much as I could possibly tell them, good, bad and ugly. Um, And I think it really helped actually to galvanise the team. It built some trust um, that I would do everything I could and that where there would be difficult conversations, I wouldn't shy away from them. And I think that really helped actually mm-hmm. to bring the two teams together quite quickly. But the the other part of that was um, I didn't know how useful my brand strategy skills would be until I sat down and said, we've got all of these component parts, but we have to build this into a beautiful whole. Um, and thankfully I had done that quite a few times on behalf of clients and then was able to translate those skills into um, doing that with the team um, to kind of build what is Spark Foundry now that we've got the opportunity to put our stamp on it. It's interesting because you're using that word team and people and, and, and you know, you, yet you said earlier part of the story is talking about what makes us different. It, it's interesting that, you know, often we see media agencies especially spend a lot of time talking about the technology as their differentiator and not as comfortable talking about their people. And yet, you know, one of the things that we point out to clients in pitches is really focus on the people because it doesn't matter what tech they've got, these are the people that are going to be either asking the questions or using the technology to get the answers. The tech itself is not the end. It's an enabler. Yeah, I could not agree more. It's the people that you want on, you know, you want that team they're with you, sure, they might have some great tech, but it's irrelevant if you don't have great people using it. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of time um, with one another. There is a real need to feel that you've got the right people around you. And, And I don't mean cultural fit. I mean people with the right kind of inquiring minds to ask the kinds of questions that fundamentally make a difference to a client's business outcome. Uh, it's funny that you say that about the technology because we often um, uh, in pitches and otherwise talk about the task as being more than mechanical. Mm. You know, it's it's the human overlay, it's the experience, it's the instinct, it's the desire. It's um, in our business we talk about retaining a little bit of mongrel that comes from having a very entrepreneurial um, aspect to to at least one of the businesses that we've now kind of forged into into Spark. Um, And the reason for that is because just a little bit of agitation, a little bit of permission to provocate so that you are asking questions uncomfortable or otherwise so that you get to the right outcome Mm. Um, or even so that you get to the right inputs because sometimes the inputs aren't quite right so therefore the output is never going to be right. But, yeah, we, we are big believers in there is a, a real value in creating teams that bring different perspectives together where there can be a little bit of healthy friction. Um, but if you don't like the people in the room, 
then it's going to be a struggle to spend 80% of your working hours with them in it. Well, I think it's about respect, isn't it? You know, you've got to respect everyone in the team. You don't necessarily have to love them. You know, it's not about... Uh, but but when you deeply respect the team and know that, you know, they're going to be there to, to do their bit and make the whole team look good, that's, I imagine, really important. I think so. I think actually the um, it's trust that's the fundamental. So... You know, I did inherit a leadership team. Um, I was very fortunate in that it was comprised of some absolutely genius people, but they had no no reason to trust me other than trusting the people that had decided to employ me. Um, and it's, it was a bit of a journey to get to a point where we all understood one another and really got that uh, I will I will do exactly what I say I'm going to do. That's it. You don't make promises well, that you're not going to keep. Well, that's integrity, isn't it? You know, doing what you say you're going to do is in the ultimate expression of integrity. Yeah. Trinity P3. Uh, in the last few months, we've launched a national management team because we are, again, really fortunate to have some just a real depth of experience within the business. And we have sort of a, um, a group of leaders in the business that aren't necessarily part of our leadership team but who have 15, 20 years' experience doing what they're doing. They're incredible in their own right and um, as we have grown quite quickly, we, um, you know, we needed to both make sure that uh, those people were furnished with opportunities for growth but equally it was quite silly if we didn't say how do we, how do we harness the experience of these people to um, contribute back to the running of the business as we grow, because it's it's impossible to mm. con- you know to maintain control, nor would I want to, um, over the everyday uh, delivery of two hundred and thirty odd people. So we've done that, and we built that. And um, one of the things that we talk about a lot with them is simply that just making sure that you are clear on what you can actually get done, um, and you don't make a promise that you can't keep. And if you can keep if you can keep that front of mind. People trust you. Imogen, I'm really getting a sense of that quote that uh, I read. I think it's on your uh, LinkedIn bio. Um, It says, as CEO, I'm responsible for the people, the product positioning and commercial success of the agency. If it's broken, I need to fix it. Most importantly, it's my responsibility to create a culture where exceptional people thrive. An inverted org chart, an upside down triangle. I'm not on the top, I'm on the bottom doing my best to hold the extraordinary people who work with me and for me up and it's a daily honour. I, look, I have to tell you, I like it, it gave me a visceral emotional response. <laughs> a good one, I hope. <laughs> no, 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 like, you know, I've just uh, teared up in a way. Yeah, because, That's very because, kind. Because, you know, it's, it's the type of leadership that you wished you were were in the presence of, you know, that too often um, there's an interpretation of leadership as, you know, sta- the military style of standing there and ordering the people into the breaches. You know, yeah, whereas, right. Whereas this is much more about, you know, the role of the leader is to really help build the foundations for the team to be the best they can be. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I live by it. I don't just put it on my LinkedIn profile, although it does sound really good when you read it out in one go. I'm quite proud of that now. Um, but the... I, I like to think of the the age of control and command, which is kind of the military version of, of leadership being well and truly on its way out, if not completely dead. 
um, if it's in a trench or otherwise, I'm not sure, mm. but there you go. Um, uh, because we, you know, the businesses I grew up in, um, and to be fair, I grew up in many with excellent leaders who have taught me all sorts of lessons about what proper leadership looks like, much of which is properly serving the people that work for you rather than the other way around. But again, that's exactly what we talk about is the age of our employees, our people serving the business is over. It's the business that is in service of the people. Mm. And if we get that right, then we get people who really want to be here. They feel really safe being here. They will try. They'll take chances and risks. They know that there's no punishment for those. Um, In fact, we encourage it. They can enjoy the experience. We will build career paths for people and tailor things for, you know, what what makes one person motivated and um, enthusiastic is not the same as what might make somebody else motivated and enthusiastic. Uh, I think it's quite hard work (laughs) is the honest truth, but the reward outstrips the work by so far because you really do get to watch people deliver more than they thought they were capable of. Um, and I'll get out of bed for that any day of the week. Well, and, you know, that, that's ultimately what you're here for is delivering those results to your clients. And, you know, we're hearing so much around the world from agencies, oh, it's so hard to attract talent, it's so hard to keep talent. You wonder whether, you know, they really don't understand that fundamental shift that it's not about the employees working for you. It's about you being, the company being in service of them mm. because ultimately that's where the value is delivered to your clients. Yeah, I mean, if you have happy people that want to be here that stick around for longer than than average, um, you create an environment in which we can have a more profound impact on client business. That's, that is what we're here for. But it's not results drive people's happiness. It's happy people drive great results. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we really do strongly believe in that. We've got um, some statistics, if you'll excuse me, excuse the plug, but that we are really proud of. Um, You know, we have increased our staff engagement and happiness uh, rates across both the Sydney and the Melbourne business by, you know, 10 basis points. We're the number one happiest agency in Melbourne, according to MediaEye, the number fifth happiest agency in Sydney, according to MediaEye. Um, And, you know, the people that are up at that kind of level typically have fewer people um, and tend to be independently run agencies. And I've worked in all sorts of agencies and, you know, you can have crappy leaders in any kind of size or scale. But the reality is if you've got a a few fewer people to try and get to grips with and build the best possible um, environment for, it's a little bit easier. than if you're dealing with lots of people. Sorry, Imogen. No, no, It comes down to culture, doesn't it? It's really, you know, we we use terms like culture, but it's actually creating that culture within the organisation where people feel that they belong. Yeah, yeah, it is. And you can't create culture from the top down. Um, You can create some uh, parameters. You can push people in a certain direction. You can put some nice words together. But if those words are, you know... Uh, something that a plaque that sits on the wall or a PowerPoint presentation that people get when they start and then they use as a doorstop. Um, that doesn't work. Okay, I'm going to challenge you there because I've been involved in, you know, working when I was working in agencies where a change of senior leadership management fundamentally changed the culture of that office. 
because I think there's a role the leader plays in actually being living an example of the way we do things around here. I think that's totally fair. Right? So you can't create it, but you can absolutely be a living expression of the culture. And as you should be. So yeah. it's not as simple as the plaque on the wall or the PowerPoint deck. It is the living, breathing, how do we manifest our values? How do we uh, demonstrate behaviour? How do you respond to a difficult situation in a way that gives people an idea of how you would like them to respond mm. in a difficult situation? That's absolutely true. I think more what I'm saying is you can't kind of come in, or I chose not to to come into this organisation and say... With a formula or recipe for culture. Exactly. I'm going <laughs> to um, I'm going to decide that this is our positioning or vision statement. I'm going to decide that these are our values and then I'm going to tell you all that that's how you have to behave because oh, no, that's, that's rubbish not. and nonsense. Well, and goes back to the point about command and control. You know, exactly. As soon as you try and control it, it will be so elusive. It will just slip through your fingers. Indeed. And also, it just doesn't allow people at every level of an organisation to contribute. And I think, you know, we've got our industry is full of um, all sorts of age groups, but we do tend to still skew younger. And I would hate to think that people with an enormous amount of um, relevant experience of what's going on in the world um, at every level, be they senior and experienced practitioners or brand new, all of those people have something to contribute and I do not know the answers nearly as well as those, um, you know, 200 people on the floor know the answers. So it would be kind of foolish not to get their opinion on how we should be running the show um, and then, yeah, embrace it wholeheartedly and work out ways that people can see it expressed in the real world in their everyday. Trinity P3. Now, going back to that first year in the role and yep. you had all these pictures and, uh, you know, people were working hard, you were trying to sort of package together and get alignment from the management team and yourself around positioning. And when did you start to feel that, you know, you had something really special here? You know, what at some point you, you must have realised that things were really coming together and was it just before or just after the pandemic hit? It wasn't just before because I only had about eight weeks or so in the role um, and I, I knew very quickly that there were some very special people but not how well, would, how well we might be able to galvanise them together to deliver something bigger than the individual. Um, it takes a little bit longer than eight weeks to work that out. I think when we started to um, have to write things down, again, it was thank you for some, some big pictures in those moments because that was what actually made us write down, um, you know, what do we stand for and how do we do things? Um, what have we got? What difference is it going to make? It was when we actually had to put pen to paper. Yeah, so it becomes and we, real. It did yeah. become real and it became real very quickly. Um, and the sheer effort and commitment that came out of particularly the leadership team, but not just confined to the leadership team, anyone that was asked to kind of participate, they got excited about the way that we were articulating things and it became this sort of snowball. So the enthusiasm became momentum um, and we just got better and better at it until we kind of, you know, arrived towards the end of 2020, I think, with a, um, a set of statements about what we think we do as an agency um, that was really compelling for new business, 
for existing clients, for our people, uh, for our leadership team and uh, with a deep, genuine uh, breath of relief uh, for me too. So somewhere around there, took about a year. So and then you've got this sense of, you know, it's really uh, galvanised, coalesced, you know, from, from chaos to sort of order in some ways. You know, you can <laughs> see... Still chaotic from time to time, well, but yes. <laughs> but, but, but there's now a sense of who we are and, you know, what do you think are the, the real skills that you need as a leader to keep moving that along? Because it's not just, it doesn't just lock itself in place and nothing happens. It's, it is a constantly evolving um, uh, mix, isn't it? You know, people and feelings and emotions and, and decisions yeah, are yeah, constantly. Yeah, 100%. And I, I, think some, I think it's know when to listen and then know when to decide. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of listening that's required, but there's also a need for decisions and being decisive and clear about why decisions have been made. We've got um, quite a big leadership team and their opinions are all incredibly valid, but we can't rule by, like, democracy all the time. You know, there is a reason that... Um, there's a reason, hopefully, that I have the job that I have and sometimes you just need to make the decision. And I think it's about being respectful about why you've done that. So there may well be someone who does not agree. Mm. That's fine because if we all agreed, we wouldn't get to an interesting place. You need yeah. the debate. You need a bit of heat in there. Like I said, you need a bit of friction um, from time to time. But then take the time to say this is why we've done what we've done. And your point about X was incredibly valid. And I won't forget that you made this incredible point about whatever it was. But for this particular set of circumstances, we're going to do this. But if people feel included and they feel listened to and they feel, as I said earlier, safe to contribute, um, you'll get really great stuff out of people. But you, you do also need to know when to call it. Yeah. I'm glad you said, you know, you need the heat, you need the friction because, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, surveys and things, particularly between clients and, and their agencies, but also within agencies. Mm. And sometimes I get the feeling that the, these surveys are trying to make everyone sort of happy and, and content, when in actual fact the best creativity and innovation comes from that, you know, often from irritation, often from some friction. You know, I wonder, you know, whether they're not doing a disservice in everyone trying to fill out the survey to say how happy they are. Mm, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think um, I I think the surveys in and of themselves are valuable because I like to have a temperature check on what's going on on the floor of the agencies. I think people sometimes, um, you know, we need we need a we need a benchmark. It's not a bad thing. Uh, I I like to think about it more in terms of do people feel supported? Do people feel heard? Do people feel like they can make a contribution? Um, there's a, you know, there's a great stat in, in one of the surveys which is about our management team manages or balances people and profit. I think those things are really important. You don't have to be like is it super nice all the time because <laughs> that's not going to get you anywhere. But some of the some of the things you can learn from those surveys are really valuable as well. But it's like it's like parenting, right? Yeah. Um, bear with me through this analogy. I would I, I could tell my children that being happy is the be all and end all, but then they're doomed to fail. 
because you can't be happy all the time. It's about how you deal with With the not happy bits, how well you recover from the bits that kind of sucked that really is a better barometer of how successful and content um, and uh, all those kinds of things that you're ultimately going to be. We spend a fair bit of time talking about recovery so there will always be argy-bargy. I don't want there to be no argy-bargy. Mm. But I do want people to understand um, and I, I want people to take the time to check on on their colleagues to make sure they're all right at the end of those kinds of slightly more heated conversations. Do you think that there's uh, clients that really appreciate that as well? You know, Because what I say to clients, the metaphor I use is oysters. You know, If you want pearls, then let a bit of sand get in so it you know, irritates and the oyster makes a pearl. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Right? Yeah. Because if you're not if you're not irritating the oyster, you're ne- not going to get pearls, and that's one of the things I worry that you know, oh our agency they're always you know they're difficult you know what what do you mean they're always challenging our thinking and I go isn't that what you want mm-hmm. you know I think there's a there it requires a maturity for the marketers to actually know how to manage it and know when that irritation's too much or too little, yep. but not to expect it not to be there at all because otherwise you might as well just have a service provider. Absolutely, but there's also the same responsibility sits with people, you know, our experience, client leads, know when to back off. Um, and, again, a lot of that comes down to listening. I think you should agitate. Um, I have in my career possibly agitated in some instances a little too much and there may be some stories floating around about that. That's okay. Um, but you do need to push because we're not in, we, are, we are not in the business of status quo. We're in a competitive business. Mm-hmm. We are finding competitive advantage for our clients. We are meant to create growth. We have to make tough decisions about what not to do as much as we make decisions about what to do. None of that's comfortable necessarily. But if there's trust there and you listen and you know when to pull back if you're really rubbing someone up completely the wrong way um, or you're just wrong because sometimes we are, um, then, yeah, you will get to a better place with that friction, that bit of sand, um, to yeah, use your if, analogy. If only there was more a way of measuring that. The yeah. right kind of friction? Yeah, the right we, kind of Maybe we friction. need to invent it. I'll go <laughs> you 50%. <laughs> Trinity P3. So, um, you know, there's that saying about uh, what t- what sort of team do you want? Do you want the team of champions or the champion team? And while you think about that, I, I bring that up because often in selecting agencies, clients will get obsessed by individuals and their reputation. And we always need to coach them on, well, you've got to strike the right balance because do you want the champion team or the team of champions? What's your opinion? Uh, The champion team Um, because different aspects of our team are most important for different jobs on different days for different clients. And if it was all about, uh, you know, a superhero, um, gosh, let me think, uh, investment person, of which we do have, But if it was all about that all the time, that is not the answer to every problem that we are going to be confronted with. Um, And the way that we look at our teams, be it our leadership team or all the way through the organisation, is what combination of people creates the right sort of circumstances for this client to thrive, for this client to really grow. Um, 
they make individually they're really good together they're even better mm. so that's kind of the way that we're we're looking at it for lots of you know logical logical reasons um but equally we also you know there's a value within our business which is all sorts um and it is born to reflect diversity of thinking and diversity of thinkers um we have a full service agency media agency still within spark foundry and it's quite unusual actually i think in the industry now so we have strategists and planners and performance people data and analytics technology investment all within one roof and the benefit of that is one is accountability because it it all sits with us the other one is that they sit together learn from one another and build on one another's quite different ways of thinking to get to a better outcome so if we were all about one discipline maybe you'd want a team of champions but in this instance yeah, not. we're not no. Oh, it's interesting that question because it's very different for creative agencies. Mm. Creative agencies are inclined to go for the team of champions because there is a sort of different perspective about creativity that there's the executive creative director or the chief creative officer or you know and and then secondary is the strategist and then the head of account service or or client services, right? Um, in that it it feels much more personality driven than media agencies. Media agencies clients are inclined to look for the the champion team, whereas they'll be attracted creatively to a particular agency by a champion creative. I think that is a really interesting observation. I haven't really thought about it like that, um, and I don't want to irritate my creative colleagues. Um, too much but I think media agencies are tasked with delivering lots of different things and by and large great creative agencies deliver great ideas Mm. and so maybe in exactly the same way as I was saying you know I need different skills on different days to answer the task there is still an enormous amount of sex appeal behind um, an, an executive creative director who's got um, you know, that, that charisma mm. and the chops that come with um, the awards and the experience and the ability to come up with something which is effectively a magic new solution to an age-old problem, which is kind of the definition of creativity. Yeah. It, look, it's just an interesting observation mm. and it's one that's played out in the last 18 months in that um, you may be aware we introduced a commercial review where we'd say to clients, instead of pitching, if you're like the incumbent, we'll do a commercial review. It's like we're managing a complete review of the agency and the way you work with them so that you can reappoint them, okay? Yep. When we talk to clients that are coming to us for a media pitch, in one year, last year, we converted 60% of those clients that came for a media pitch to do a commercial review. We converted 0% of the clients that came for a creative review. Oh, that's really interesting. Right? Now, our, our hypothesis, because we talk to the clients as to, you know, we're trying to convert them to, yeah, but if you really like the incumbent, it was all about the work, you know? Even though we don't run pictures with speculative creative, they yep. just wanted to get in there and see the creatives and see the work and... You know, that there was something more, maybe more tangible. This is the part I haven't got to. I've got the reason why they wouldn't do a commercial review, but not, 
yeah, or that they wouldn't do, but not why? What was the underlying motivation? How are you going to find out? I'm not sure, you know, because it's a very hard question to probe mm-hmm. your client about, you know, so what is it exactly? You know, they've given they've given uh, insights like, you know, well, it's good to see the creative, you know, uh, as opposed to media. And look, part of it, I think, is that perhaps the part that we haven't addressed, but you alluded to, is that media agencies are there solving the problem every day, Mm -hmm. whereas the creative process is, here's the idea, now let's run it out. Here's the idea, let's run it out. I think also a lot of the work that media agencies do um, is slightly less visible. Slightly? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I say slightly because it's becoming increasingly visible because what we do have the ability to do is quantify the impact that we have. And I'm yet to meet a marketer or client that doesn't want us to quantify the impact that we have because then they can take that to, um, you know, a board discussion around why we should be continuing to invest or why we are getting better and better and better about forensically understanding the impact that different channels or formats or whatever it might be um, have on the bottom line. Uh, But that visibility, even with that enhanced visibility, is still internal visibility. Mm. But if I'm a um, brand marketer and I've got a great big sexy ad on TV and everyone's seen it and everyone's talking about it, it's a very external Um, externally visible part of what I do. So I can understand being driven to have uh, a look at what else might be possible there, possibly because, you know, that's a conversation you're going to have with your friends, your family, you know, your mum and dad. My mum stopped asking me what I do years ago because it's really complicated to explain (laughs) and she's just happy that I love it as much as I do and that's that. We don't have that conversation anymore. I wonder how much of it is to do with that everyone's got an opinion on the creative work and not everybody can have an opinion on what we do because it's extremely complicated in some instances. Well, it was also a problem for a lot of the, uh, the award shows that started having both creative and media and they started giving media awards to creative agencies because the ads look good. Yeah, because who doesn't love a sexy idea? Yeah, but how can you, you know, unless you're just judging media strategy and ideas, it's like for like, it's very hard to actually make that comparison. And I've had the, um, the privilege really of judging so many awards. It's one of the things that I've loved um, you know, really, really loved about my career is that for whatever reason, I think, you know, as a strategist, you get a disproportionate number of opportunities to judge other people's work. Um, so I have done a lot of judging here and globally, and I tend to ask myself and sometimes the rest of my panellists the question as to whether or not media made any difference to that idea. Mm. And if you can't answer that, you probably shouldn't be giving it a media award. <laughs> Good point. Mm. Imogen, this has been a, a terrific conversation. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Well, that was quick. It was. It, it went very quickly, but only because you're such a great conversationalist and I really appreciated having this chat. Oh, well, thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it too. I do have a question before you go, and that is that, you know, of all of the different roles that you've had, which is the one that's given you the most personal pleasure? Mm-hmm.